0: Good morning, everybody. I want to get started this morning because I I predict that you guys will be commenting a lot today. Not that you guys ever do. So uh, this is the last week of the Job class. Yay! I was just telling josh i i'm not I'm going to be honest. I'm kind of glad this class is over in some ways because it's been a hard class to do to put together and like yesterday, I went out to dinner with Christy, and I was like the whole time I'm like like despondent, and I realized that I've been thinking about really hard things all day long, and it was kind of ruined my evening um, but it's been at the same time it's been a super good class to go through especially for me with going through things I'm going through in my life in general, to remind myself of some things and to learn new ways of looking at how God works in this world and how he doesn't, Uh, and kind of getting some of that into perspective. Uh, So let's pray real quick before we get started. Father, thank you for bringing us here together. I I say that almost every week, but I'm truly thankful that we're here as a family, to talk through hard things and things that we don't understand and may never understand, I pray that today you'll help, help me to, and help us all to have wisdom to understand how to process a world that doesn't make sense, where good people get hurt for no apparent reason. Help us to understand that and to help people outside this room process that without hating you. In your son's name we pray. Amen. So last week I kind of did a summary of some of the main ideas in the book of Job. It was kind of like the wrap-up of the the book itself. Uh, We also talked a little philosophy, um, which was always fun. Uh, But I didn't get into talking about some of the connections to the rest of Scripture that you can find. And I was going to do that this week, but the more I thought about it, the more I got into it, there's a lot of it, and it doesn't really... It's interesting for Bible nerds, <laughs> but, and I, there's some cool things there, especially about Job being this suffering servant, that just like Jesus and, and, and Isaiah and the cool connections. But if you're interested in this, if you want to learn more, I, a lot of this I, I, I was going to get from this, this episode of this podcast from the Bible Project from July 14th. It's called Solomon, the Cynic, and the Job you never knew. So if you want to learn more, it's a fantastic episode. The, all, the whole podcast is really good, including their videos. But that's, that's where you can get all the cool connections to stuff. So this week, I want to get into, as problems talk about, I want to spend time talking about the problem that we, uh, we honestly have to deal with um, when we're Christians in this world. Because we live in a world where horrible things happen to truly good people. Um, I've talked a lot in this class about how Job shows us that while we may not have the wisdom to understand what's going on and why these things happen, God does. And trusting him and submitting him to, to the one who understands is, to me, that's that's the key to getting through a lot of the suffering and difficulties that we have. And it, It's one of those seems simple, but it's infinitely hard type of things, and it's a process. It's not like you wake up one morning and you're like, "I'm totally submitted to God's leading me," and whatever. You know, it, it's it's hard. Uh, and I hope that that helps some of you. It, it helps me a little bit, um, and I, I hope it comforts you as it does me. But let's be honest, this stuff is just hard. Hard stuff is hard. Um, I was thinking of a couple examples here in at Metal Arc. It's, it's hard when your brand-new baby suddenly has an infection that destroys much of his brain. Uh, it's hard when your little boy who just wants to be Batman has cancer that just keeps coming back. And <laughs> I can't say this. It's hard when you're told that um, you have not just one incurable disease but two they're going to rob you of your ability to move, and your mind, and all kinds of things. And that your body is eating away at your spinal cord. <laughs> and it's not just ongoing health issues. I mean, people in this room have dealt with so much, and will deal with so much more. Um, death that comes way too early or too young. Disasters leading your house to being destroyed. Being abused by people you trust. Spending your childhood feeling alone and unloved as your parents spend their days drunk or high? Being shifted from one horrible foster home to the next? I mean, I could go on, but I don't think I can. (laughs) And I don't think, probably don't want me to remind us all of this all the time. But the thing is, none of us deserved any of these things. And that's kind of the point of Job, like I said last week. Um, we intellectually know that the world isn't set up so horrible things just happen to wonderful people, but sometimes it feels that way. And you end up feeling angry and kind of lost. And it can be easy for your anger to turn to God because even if you don't think God did these things, you still know that he could have stopped them. At least that's our belief. And why didn't he? And it just leads to more and more questions. And it becomes easier to get to the point of hating God and an apathy toward God and then even just deciding that God doesn't exist because of it. Because a God who would allow this stuff to happen is not a God of love. He's a God of cruel jokes. That's that's what we start feeling. So in, in the movie Patch Adams, it's from 1998, it's like ancient history now, um, Robin Williams played a real-life guy named Patch Adams who was an idealistic and fun-loving doctor. Who, he created a free clinic to serve people in need and to bring them joy and, and, and happy, a happier life. And in the movie, things are going great. He's got the clinic going, and his, his girlfriend, but, but then his girlfriend who works at the clinic tries to comfort a disturbed patient who ends up killing her and then killing himself, and I, I didn't warn you, but we're going to show a video in a second here, Joshua. Um, it's what happens is obviously not fair, and it's not right. And Patch is so angry with God, he he starts out the movie kind of being suicidal, and then he realizes that being, having joy changes other people as well, and he becomes this joyful, happy person, and then. He gets so angry at the god, he, he finds himself near the end of the movie standing at the top of a cliff. And so I'm going to show this clip. It's just, it's like one and a half minutes long, and then we'll talk about it.
1: So, what now, huh? What do you want from me? I could do it You both know you wouldn't stop me
2: So
3: answer me Please Tell me what you're doing
0: Okay, let's look at the logic You create man
1: Man suffers enormous amounts of pain and dies. <laughs> Maybe you should have had just a few more brainstorming sessions prior to creation. You rested on the seventh day. Maybe you should have spent that day on compassion.
0: uplifting clip. So in in philosophy, this dichotomy between God and evil is referred to as the problem of evil or the problem of pain. Uh, C.S. Lewis, you may be familiar with his book, The Problem of Pain, which is a really good book on this topic. Um, but make no mistake, this is a problem that we, if you haven't encountered this with especially non-Christian people, you You will. And you, and I'm not especially non-Christian, but any anybody that's alive, <laughs> um, and we're only going to scratch the surface today because this is a big, complex, hairy topic. But I think asking the hard questions is, is always worth it. So even though Job was written a couple thousand years ago, the Greek philosopher Epicurus, um, long after Job was written was the first philosopher to really discuss this issue and, and bring up this, this topic. And as he, this is a, how, what he said. Is God willing to prevent evil but not able? Then he is not omnipotent. Is he able but not willing? Then he is, then he is malevolent. Is he both able and willing? Then from whence comes evil? Um, and more recently, Richard Dawkins, the writer, the uh, science writer and philosophy writer, He said, "...the total amount of suffering per year in the natural world is beyond all decent contemplation. In the universe of electrons and selfish genes, blind physical forces and genetic replication, some people are going to get hurt, other people are going to get lucky, and you won't find any rhyme or reason in it, nor any justice. The universe that we observe has precisely the properties we should expect if there is at bottom no design, no purpose, no evil, no good, nothing but pitiless indifference." And this is a problem that has been debated for thousands of years. And it's, it's, a, it's often cited as a proof that God does not exist, like a logical proof. And the, the logical proof is called the Epicurean Paradox. It goes like this. If, if an all-powerful, all-knowing, benevolent God exists, then evil does not. And, and we know that there is evil in the world. Therefore, an all-powerful, all-knowing, benevolent God does not exist. Now Epicurus wasn't saying that God does not exist. He was just saying if if there is a God that exists, and the, the Greeks believe in lots of them, obviously. But if there is a God that exists, he can't be these things. He can't be loving and powerful and, and knowing. He's got to be something else. What so this is used, honestly, I was doing some research on this Epicurean paradox. It's even used as a in in philosophy classes as a an example of a what's it, a trienium or something like that? It's like a, a type of a logical statement that is provable. Um, what I, I see issues with this. What What do you guys think about this well, the, logic?
1: The first, the first statement, if they're stating that as fact, it's not fact. They're saying if you have that, then you can't have evil. Well, who said you can't have an all-powerful, all-knowing, benevolent God and evil?
0: Yeah, that's that's a good point. That this first statement assumes that evil does not, could not exist, or should not exist if there is. And there's longer versions of this that get into more detail. It's a statement of theory,
1: but it's not a statement.
0: of the Right. Fact. It, it's a statement that makes a lots of assumptions. Yeah, John. It takes away a lot of man's responsibility. Okay. Jeff? I really don't think you get to use the word evil
2: if you don't believe in God. I don't think. Evil assumes morality, morality assumes God. And I know that's a huge debate. Sam Harris wrote a
0: book about it. But, yeah, I don't think you get to use the word evil if there's not a God. You don't get to use the word evil if there is a God because of morality? Okay. Then, David?
3: Said non-believers have to explain everything else. Mm-hmm. You know, so one of the problems with this paradox is, is that it doesn't assume there's good in the world and that we can try to figure out why humans will be do the most noble and sacrificial things. And what, if love is real, this feeling that this affinity would have that goes beyond comprehension. And so you know, it's a it's a one. I'm not saying I'm sort of dodging the question, but um, you know, where did everything?
0: Absolutely. Yeah, and back to the, one of the first things you said is that if uh, believers do have to answer this kind of a paradox, that there is evil, in, we have to answer the, the, world, the fact that there is evil in the world. But non-believers have to answer it for everything else. Because this, this, these statements taught, focus on a very narrow sliver of the reality of the world. It focuses on the bad and not like, okay, then where does all the good come from? Back to what Richard Dawkins says, that if the, the properties we see in this universe are exactly what we should expect if there's basically no God, no design. But where does the good come from? Yeah, Christy. Well,
1: I don't know that I'm really answering your question. Um, again, I know I've said this before in this class, but it feels like we have to separate out evil and indifferent, like, tragedy, Because there is a difference. I mean, someone's house being destroyed by a tornado was not necessarily evil, it was a different tragedy. And so there is a difference between just bad and evil and the good. And so I think, and that's really hard because we talk about it all as one thing.
0: Well, there is a difference between evil and just bad things that happen, but often when people are discussing this idea and this topic in, in general, they combine the two. And, and it, it, you could argue that, like, a baby dying of cancer, that's not an evil thing that happened, but that that's pretty horrible. And that's, that's what I'm getting at, not just evil. And a lot of the phrasing in, in the philosophy refers to evil, but it's just bad things happening is what I'm getting at. But the good things are still happening, yes.
1: But I see why, Richard, like, when you lump them all together, I see why bad and evil... true thing and sort of spun it in his own way. Yeah, he's he's good at that.
0: Lies. Yeah. I feel like even
3: if God had no evil and he just controlled it so it was all good, we'd still have a problem because, well, I want free choice. And God is not letting me choose. And that's part of an all-knowing, all-powerful, benevolent God is that he allows us to choose. But Men are children of wrath, you know, as it says in Scripture. So I just, I feel like God can never really win if it was really up to man because we're all over the place. We want to choose, but then we don't like what people choose. So how can God exist? So if God creates a perfect world, well then, but I don't have the choice, you know?
0: It's like. This yeah. Well, I love what you said that God can never win if it was up to man. And that's what a lot of this really comes back to is like the whole point of Job is like I said before that we, we want to do things our way we want to take from our tree of knowing good and evil and do it our way instead of letting God show us his way and when we do that we're always going to disagree with God because we are much smaller and much more imperfect than he is yeah.
2: I feel like Richard Dawkins doesn't have the right to say that because the, the, to say that this is what we expect from a world Because that comes from a viewpoint of this is a world without a God. Okay, we'll warp our understanding to surround that, to
3: surround
2: the world without God.
0: A lot of these philosophies, to be honest, they do start from a place of assumption instead of starting from a place of logic. And and when you start, and we have to be careful that we don't do the same thing if we want to argue about this stuff or discuss this stuff with people as well. But um, it, it's true. Uh, yeah. You got something to say? Okay. Not anymore? Yeah. Does the pain feel more painful than the joy feels joyful? Is it imbalanced? Wow. Well, if, I mean, I, I've not had all the experiences in the world, but you can't have the more the more pain you have, the more joy you can understand. Yeah. Makes sense, because it, it you, and that's honestly that's one of the, the responses to this whole concept is that. You, you can't. One of the reasons pain and evil have to exist in the world is so beauty and joy can. Because you, you, if, if all you have is light, you can you, you don't know what darkness is, and vice versa. Jeff, I
2: think it's weird that you said that because I was actually just thinking the reverse of that. The more joy that you have, the
0: more pain you can understand. The, the reverse is absolutely true. Yeah. And the
2: My my vision was taken from me. He said it was never good, but it was taken from me. He said, but people who are born in this world without vision don't suffer by not having vision. They don't know what they're missing.
0: It's true. Suffering doesn't really happen until you have something that's gone. I see
2: that in I see that. He says, man, I actually came to this world naked, and I know that in my mind, but the truth is I've latched on to this world and things I love. If Melinda were taken from me, it would cause great pain. But if I had never had her, to have that joy, to take the pain away from me, I would never be in a position
0: to experience that. taste of honey is worse than none at all, right? Yeah, it's, it's, it's a great question. So I, I'm going to have to stop for a second. Real quick yeah. before you move Yeah, except for on. this one. You
1: know, I, th- I think you look at, you know, some of what the, the past philosophers have said, and I think we fall into the same trap. We look at our life here on Earth. And, I, you know, I think that's the human nature. We... We look at what we can understand, and that is our life as it exists yesterday, today, tomorrow. We really can't conceive eternity very well. And should we be judging God by what happens during our life here on this earth? Or if we looked at the greater picture, our eternity, you know, this is not our home. But we get really, and I don't wanna I don't wanna minimize people's feelings, but we put so much emphasis on how we live however many years we have on this earth as opposed to looking at what God has in store for us for eternity. And so and I think that's just our, our mind isn't able to really conceive eternity. We tend to live in the here and now. But if we truly focused on eternity and what God has prepared for us, I think it would help us better handle what living here on this earth throws at us.
0: Yeah, and you guys are hitting on a lot of the the philosophical responses to this state these statements. And that that one is called the afterlife theodicy that there's more there's so much more to our life than now. And we're seeing a small sliver and judging God on everything that happens in this small sliver of of eternity. And, um, I mean, there are a lot of other explanations to this problem as far, like, the greater good response is it, everything's happening for some unknown greater good. Um, the free will response is several of you guys mentioned that if there is free will, people will make the wrong choice and that will cause some evil in this world. Um, then there's things like, that I really don't agree with, like the, Process theodicy is that God isn't really all that powerful and He can't stop this stuff. Um, then, kind of what C.S. Lewis talks about—the soul-making theodicy—in in that we need this stuff to grow spiritually. Without the pain, we won't grow, which I agree with somewhat. Um, the cruciform theodicy is kind of strange. This suffering is required is required for love, which is why Christ suffered, and so God created suffering and pain so Christ could suffer. kind of weird Um, then people some people just deny that evil exists at all some people say that this happens because of previous lives and karma Um, pandeism that God can't intervene because he is the universe or something and then God is evil and I mean there's so many more Um, and even if we even if we don't agree with this logic we still have to agree that bad things still happen to good people no matter what we want to think yeah Joshua Yeah, I think the question is not, can God remove all evil? It's, it's why doesn't he? Right. Yeah.
2: I, I think some, when we run into a thing like this, um, there's lots of solutions and, and answers to yeah. the question, but it's kind of like trying to solve an emotion.
1: <laughs> and it's, I, it's good.
2: I, when I encounter an emotion, because I don't really understand what we're doing, but when I encounter an emotion, how to stop having that emotion here's why that emotion goes wrong right. so I think a good first step is to realize that you can state
0: Yeah, I like that. Trying to solve an emotion, Ravi Zacharias said about this: that the the problem of pain is it should be seen as a mystery. Getting to Mars is a problem. Falling in love is a mystery. It's 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 a different kind of thing, and trying to come up with answers all the time is not always going to get you where you need to get. Um, and you know, having gone through this class. Through the Job class, of course, we've answered this issue without without, without any doubt, but it's one thing to sit in this room and theorize and debate various ideas, and it's another thing to go through some of this stuff. Um, So what should we do when we are dealing with true pain and suffering ourselves as Christians? What should we do? Should we do (laughs) anything? Anything? Yeah. Um, I
2: think be ready for it. Um,
0: Be ready for it.
2: Stuff happens. Unspeakably terrible stuff happens on a daily basis all over the world, good and bad people. And you don't question God until it happens to you, which is kind of a completely self centered. yeah:
0: Yeah, it's good to be prepared and start thinking of some of this stuff before it happens because we know it's going to happen, but let's be honest, none of us think anything's going to happen to us I mean, we we kind of dig on teens for thinking that they're going to live forever, but we, we're, the, we're the same way until suddenly we're faced with not living forever in very real ways. Yeah: Yes, you, sorry, Sandy.
3: Latch off the dog, turn our backs and we latch on the dog and we just have to trust him because he knows what he's doing and that he's going to work
0: things out like he yeah it it's a, it's a, whenever we have something like this, it's a good time, it's a time to make a choice. And <laughs> It, yeah, like when the wilderness. C.S. Lewis talks about how God allows suffering in our lives to, to kind of test us in a way to see are we going to latch onto Him more or to give us an opportunity to not. Yes, Kathy. Yeah, I think realizing that we, like you said, realizing that we can have these hard, sad, difficult emotions and still tr- be lo- trusting God. And I, lo- I also like what you said, going through this with each other, because that's something that's very important, I think, for a, a family like, the, a body like this. Is when people are going through this, don't just say, praying for you, you know, and walk away. You know, try to go through it with them. I mean, we're we're a family. We're we're supposed to be very close with each other and help each other through this. And like my immediate family has been very good about helping me go through the, the struggles I'm going through, but, and you guys as well. But it's it's just so help important to help each other when when things like this happen. Yeah, Chuck.
3: Um, I, I, I'm a lot like Nathan in that even with philosophy and theology, those are things I don't even spell right. One area that that, uh, relates to this very directly, in my mind, anyway, is raising our kids. When our boys were young, their attitude might have been on that that previous slide. If mommy is able to fix anything and buy anything, why are we having Brussels sprouts? There would (laughs) be no Brussels sprouts.
0: In a perfect world, there are no Brussels sprouts. (laughs) In a perfect world, I wouldn't have Brussels
1: sprouts on my my table. How do I deal with that?
3: Sprouts. The dog. The maybe the dog will take my Brussels sprouts. But mommy's responsibility is still to help those kids to grow up to be strong, healthy, to have the vitamins that they need, the minerals,
2: and have a nutritious meal.
0: Right, and that kind of gets to what what I think Job is getting at is that we we don't un, we don't get what's going on in this world. It's like. We all, know, we all know that whether you have kids or not, you understand that you're, if you try to describe something to a four-year-old, they're not going to get everything. You're going to have to explain it to... Some, some things are just going to happen to them, like they're just going to be fed Brussels sprouts. and They don't get it. And they don't understand why. But So you have to explain things in very basic terms, and sometimes even then they may not get it. And we're like that with God. There's so much that we don't understand that we couldn't if we tried. Um, we to have to keep moving. We have like seven minutes left. Good grief! Need more time. Um, I'm not going to have time to read through these scriptures, but uh, all of them. But there are many verses, many more verses than this in in the Bible about that that address this issue of suffering and how, uh, like Romans five, let us glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, and then character, and then hope, etc. Um, and there's lots of Paul talks a lot about glorifying and praising God for the sufferings because it helps him in a lot of ways. And, you know, James consider pure joy when you face suffering. And I, I especially like Romans 11 that um, doesn't directly address suffering, but it talks about how, like, oh, the depths and the riches of the wisdom of the knowledge of God, how unsearchable his judgments, kind of like the, the speeches at the end of Job. Um, and so I'm going to have to skip over a couple things here, but I want you to think about how, how, in light of all this, how should we think about God? Um, and I, there was a great quote from one of the commentaries that I read. It said, to, uh, the, the recommended, um, trusting, to try to make trusting God the focus of our faith instead of getting things from him. He said, "Too often we focus our faith on believing that God will heal, rel- relieve our suffering, or protect us from pain. Sometimes our faith lies in the belief that God will somehow come to us and give us explanations. Other times we place our faith in our ability to force our experiences into a coherent and meaningful narrative. All these approaches are unrealistic. Our faith should be directed toward embracing an all-wise God and asking Him for help to live well before Him." Regardless of our plight in this world that continues to display both order and disorder, and also think about how how, should, how this how should, we should think about the world in light of this kind of a problem you know obviously it 's a broken and tough place, and suffering will happen. We all know that, and Job makes it clear that the world is not set up to operate in accordance with some fixed philosophy it's it 's set up to operate the way God decides that it's going to operate. And he, he gets to decide that. Um, but God is still there. And that's what I want us to kind of come away from this class knowing. That when when these things happen, which they will, whether it's to you or someone you know, when it feels like God is not there, he is. And so I want to... there. There's part two to that scene with... Robin Williams on top of the cliff. I want to show you guys now. You know what? You're not worth it. sometimes I think I, I know that God is always there sorry and I think he has ways of showing us that and I think it's more often than we think um, sometimes it's in your face like I mentioned the, my bike ride when the song started, just came on and sometimes you have to be open and look for it but he's always there and he wants us to trust him And I'll close with this. It's the best comfort I've found that... (laughs) I'm sorry. This whole class is just wrecking me. (laughs) Uh, That in Christ, death is not the end. Pain, suffering, and injustice, all these things will go away. And there's definitely more than now. And this world is not my home. And like Jim was saying, try to work on an eternal time scale, not just our time scale. And we're back to God's speeches in Job. He says, the universe is more complex than you could ever comprehend it. And he basically says, trust me, I got this. <laughs> Sorry. So, with that, I'm done <laughs> in multiple ways. Uh, Thanks for this class. I've, been, I've had a lot of hard moments, but a lot of great moments with you guys going through Job and talking about hard things. But like I said, talking about hard things is always worth it. And don't shy away from being open and honest with each other about hard things that you're going through. Because if we don't know what we're going through, we can't help each other. We need to get away from as Kathy was alluding to, this idea that if you're, if you're depressed, if you're having a hard time, if you're sad, then somehow you've done something wrong. Um, I just finished reading the book by, is it Kate Bowler? The, the title of the book is um, uh, Everything Happens for a Reason and Other Lies I've Loved. And... She did a lot of research into um, the people, the churches that preach the prosperity gospel. That if you do the right, th- which is basically the Christian version of the, the um, retribution principle, that if you do the right things, if you pray the right prayers, then God will give you what you want, and if you name it and claim it, you know all that stuff. And how? Then she was diagnosed with stage four cancer shortly after having her son. And how she didn't realize that she had a serious prosperity gospel in her mind as well, even though she didn't think she did. We, we too often, especially Americans, think that if you work hard and you do the right thing, you will have success and you will have no pain and problems. And we need to quit worshiping ourselves in that way and worship God and submit to him and the things that he wants us to do and, and in our lives. So, I think it's the first time I'm actually lending class on time. So, thanks for being here for this class and I'll see you guys in worship.